0: Bandwidth for ChangeLog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Leno cloud servers. Head to Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Do not underestimate the power of the independent open cloud for developers. Yes, I'm talking about Linode. Linode is our cloud of choice and it's the home of changelog.com. What we love most about Linode is their independence and their commitment to open cloud. Open cloud means being unencumbered by outside investment and maximizing value for the community, not shareholders. And that's exactly what Linode represents no vendor lock in, open at every layer. If you want to learn more, head to linode.com slash open. Again, linode.com slash open. What's up? Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to the Change Log, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators In the world of software development, I'm Adam Dukowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at Changelog. On today's show, we're talking with Matthew Hodgson about Matrix, an open source project, an open standard for secure, decentralized, real-time communication. It's open source, it's end-to-end encrypted, it's decentralized, and it's also self-sovereign. Matrix also provides a bridge feature to bridge existing platforms and communication silos into a global open matrix of communication. And of course, we talk through all this. A recent big win for Matrix was Mozilla's announcement of switching off its IRC network that had been using for 22 years and now uses Matrix instead.
1: So Matthew, we're here to talk about Matrix, maybe not the Matrix, but Matrix, which is an open source, uh, secure, decentralized communication, standard protocol software. There's a lot here. First of all, thanks for joining us.
2: No, well, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a privilege and I'm um, really looking forward to trying to tease apart all the various different bits and bobs we have in Matrix, because you're right, there's uh, lots of different bits there.
1: There's a lot going on and a lot of buzz going on as well, especially since recently Mozilla adopting Matrix and uh, killing off their 22-year-old IRC dependency. Before we get to that, maybe we'll talk about the idea itself where it came from and the birth of this, this, these bits and bobs.
2: Yeah, sure. And yeah, it's topical. I guess it's just yesterday that Mozilla turned off their uh, MozNet, one of the older IRC networks, and honestly, we felt pretty sad about it. But we we can talk about that in a bit, I guess. In terms of trying to explain Matrix itself, as you said, it's an open source project, and we provide an open standard for secure decentralized communication. So you could call it an open standard or an open protocol, and you also get an open network out of it. So what we've tried to do is to basically build the missing communication layer of the open web. Because there are many, many different ways to communicate online these days, and almost all of them are proprietary closed silos, um, like uh, WhatsApp and Slack and Discord, and uh, facebook and so many other ones yeah and we had been building these um as a professional team um, for about 15 years for our sins um typically building them actually for big telcos so tier one and um, telcos like tim brazil the biggest mobile network in brazil and singtel and singapore and other guys and um I used to run a unified communications business unit for an outfit called Amdocs, who are a large multinational uh, telecoms um, supplier. And we got fed up with building yet more proprietary silos and taking this problem of all of these little islands which can't talk to one another, which go and trap their users into um, these silos and instead replace it with something completely different and try to do the impossible, follow the holy grail, build an entirely new communications protocol put it out there completely open on the internet for anybody to build on and participate in. And I hope that if we can pull it off, we might have something that could replace email, could replace the phone network, and be a new kind of common denominator way for people to talk in real time. And that could be instant messaging, could be VoIP video, could be in virtual reality, could be IoT data, any kind of conversational real time data have a way to synchronize it from A to B. So on one level, it sounds like a crazy moonshot and <laughs> a bit um, overambitious. Yeah. And certainly when we, when we started it five years ago now, in actually five and a half years ago, September 2014 is when we launched it, um, it felt totally nuts. But since then, we've just been plugging away at it, trying to make it all work. And so far, it seems cautiously positive.
0: When you said sad regarding Mozilla and Matrix, was that because of IRC going away?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm an IRC geek. I'm sure that many people yeah. um, here have um, spent their lives um, on IRC. I started yeah. admining a network back in '99. It was a uh, Tolkien network, actually, um, because that's how cool I am. <laughs> cool to <laughs> me. It's still going strong now, um, 20-odd years later, and no, I still... Have my IRC set up. I have my Z and ZNC running, or ZNC and all that um, stuff. Actually, I access it via Matrix these days because we bridge into existing networks like IRC and XMPP from Matrix. But um, I I really get the IRC thing. Um, our earlier companies were founded from IRC. We started working together because we knew each other on a university underground IRC channel in like 2099 and 98 and so. And so basically grew up on IRC. Ended up creating Matrix as, in some ways, very heavily inspired by IRC, but built on 21st century kind of technology and feature set, and with a slightly bigger vision in terms of yeah. not just being chat, but being an open fabric. But yes, I've, it say I'm, I've got a very, very soft spot for it, <laughs> and I felt, in some ways, really sad that we were the re- reason that they turned it off entirely. Frankly, I wish that we'd left it going and kept it bridged, uh. but... They wanted to make use of all of the moderation stuff that we have in Matrix and try to get the best possible um, sort of starting point experience and try to minimize confusion due to somebody on IRC saying, oh, I can't see that emoji because my client doesn't do emoji or I can't do threads because IRC doesn't do threads and that sort of thing. So I see why they did it, but still feel like we accidentally killed an old friend.
0: It's just funny to see you be sad because we're so enamored with progressing you know, that you don't often stop to see the dead, I suppose, to be very graphic. You know, like dead technologies are things that fall by the wayside as we progress. Mm-hmm. And so we're so, I guess, attracted to change and the future and modern and 21st century, as you just said, that we – I was just surprised to actually see you be sad that IRC went away.
2: Yeah, well, as I said, it's sentimental value. And also, I, I mean, <laughs> this is where we spend the entire show talking about IRC yeah. you know, <laughs> and feeling sentimental about it. But um, serious, uh, I have a weird theory that the lower the bandwidth you have to communicate, um, in some ways, the more intimate and more um, emotionally connecting a communication technology can be. It's, really? Um, yeah, I think what happens is that the brain fills in the gaps. So if you're on a big, glossy 1080p video feed like this, it's pretty unambiguous on what's going on. You can see each other's body language, you've got all of your amazing audio, and it's like real life, it's very high bandwidth. But then, yeah. if you take all of that away, and you end up with a really, really, really low bandwidth, kind of minimalist thing, like ILC, there were friends, particularly from the Tolkien network, who I'd never met in real life, and became incredibly close friends with, and... Um, subsequently, did meet in real life, and I ended up introducing folks today the who then got married. So, I mean, it's not rocket science. Everybody knows how online relationships work. Now sure. it's a little bit uh, less um, obvious in the late '90s, and I think the fact that the more minimal you are, the less bells and whistles, that has a certain appeal. And it's not just grungy retro things, because the Tolkien geeks I hung out with weren't techies. They were total randoms who just happened to like Lord of the Rings um, yeah. before the films came out, I hasten to add. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, actually, and just to um, be united for a commonality of interest in the books. And it was right. just really interesting that the more minimal, the more um, the mind, it's like reading, the difference between reading and watching a film. Sure, you can watch a film, super, super rich, and you have a shared experience with somebody, but it's never going to be as vivid as the imagination you have when you read a good book. And the mm. more that is left unsaid, the more vivid your imagination is. <laughs> okay,
0: I can agree with that. There's, there's been several books where I've read it. And I, I like the movie because, hey, you get an hour and a half bite-sized version of the book. And that's nice because they put a visual to things and kind of
1: paint in what your imagination leaves out. Well, don't they always disappoint you, though, because it's not what you imagine?
0: Kind of. The one I would say in particular that I was still very happy with was Ready Player One. As Mm. a book, it was amazing. But as a movie, maybe it's Spielberg. I don't know. But I mean, it was still amazing Mm. to me.
2: It's a controversial one.
0: Jared and I never agree on, on movies. That's why I say it to me at the end. Because we almost <laughs> never agree. I like movies he hates.
1: Well, I didn't see that movie, so I'm not going to comment on it. That's I saw the I mean. the five-minute clip you showed me in your home theater, and I enjoyed that because it was like a spectacle. <laughs> I just think that in my experience, almost every time a movie's been based on a book that I previously loved, the movie has been a letdown versus, yeah. versus your and experience. And that's where I can
0: agree with Matthew is thats that is – that, uh, what you see on a film may never be as vivid as what you can imagine. And I do agree with that.
2: So I think the same is true, honestly, on IRC and segueing beautifully into Matrix, where (laughs) we have a much, much, much richer um, set of primitives to work with. You have your stickers, you have your emoji, you have your um, animated GIFs, inline images, inline file transfer, um, full video conferencing, full voice conferencing, and we've even done 3D video calling in VR over Matrix, just to try to spell out to people that it's not just um, wow. text chat. But uh, and also, you can't have a project called Matrix which doesn't have a VR element. Let's face it. So we built virtual worlds in Matrix and using Star Trek TNG season two Holodex in web VR, and went and took uh, iPhone 10. And I modded um, WebRTC to support depth channel as well as um, video channel. And so you would set up two video calls over matrix, one for depth, one for the actual video, and then get a kind of dot cloud slash mesh of the person sitting in VR just to spell out to people that, look, you can use this for synchronizing any type of real-time data. In this instance, it's just the call signaling. It wasn't the actual call media which goes over SRTP, the standard encrypted real-time protocol thing that I guess we're using to talk right now. But the rest of it and the scene geometry was um, coming out of Matrix. No, that's the other end of the spectrum. It doesn't get much richer than that to be in a virtual world with somebody and you put a Vive on or even use a Project Daydream style um, headset and it was super compelling. You could get... um, Um, eye uh, gaze correction happening uh, for line of sight correction, Uh because in VR, you just physically move your head around until your eyes are lined up with the other person. You don't need to mess around with voodoo like Apple tried and failed with FaceTime to kind of slightly re-render everything. And uh, ironically, they are actually doing it the same way that we were doing it. But humans naturally gravitate to fix their line of sight. Anyway, long story. Basically, we've gone to the other extreme. But in the end, a lot of the most productive conversations are the ones which are completely indistinguishable from IRC. And I think one of the reasons Mozilla liked Matrix is that the IRC routes are very visible and if you want to use it and play with it and hook up WeChat to it as a really nice command line IRC client Mm -hmm. um, somebody wrote a really surprisingly impressively good matrix Mm -hmm. module for it, complete with end-to-end encryption and typing notifications and all this sort of thing and people can use it and pretend that they're in a kind of modern IRC and if they do that and it works for them, then that's a good result
1: Absolutely So I was trying to think back. I couldn't find it on our search, Adam, but I was trying to find that conversation we had a couple of years ago about the decentralized uh, social web. And mm-hmm. we talked about the success of email and the failure of IRC in terms of mass, uh, not mass production, but what's it called? Critical mass. Yeah. So email hit critical mass. IRC never did. And I remember we had a fun conversation of just kind of hypothesizing what held IRC back and why email succeeded where irc failed and matthew i'm curious because of your love for the for the ancient and nostalgia for it and still i agree that a lot you can get a lot done with plain old text i'm curious your thoughts on that do you think email had a advantage over irc and usability or why do you think that email hit critical mass and irc was always you know the, the the dwelling place of geeks and nerds
2: That's an absolutely excellent question. And it's something that we literally obsess about on a daily basis these days, because you can only look to the past and learn from it to avoid making the same mistakes as we go and build our protocol out in Matrix. I mean, there are many aspects to it. I guess one thing with email is that there was nothing before it. As in, you had to have a bootstrap first commonality to let people talk to one another. So whatever the first thing was that could bridge that gap in a um, global way would have amazing first mover advantage as we've seen. Secondly, it's open federation, whereas IRC is closed federation. Nowadays, in the very dim days of IRC, right at the beginning when there was only one network, it was actually open federation and anybody could just pitch up and try to peer in or set up a S line or whatever it is to go and connect to another server and it was a disaster because it didn't scale and you got abuse. And then there was the creation of Fnet, I think is the first fork out of the original IRC network when they Jupitered off a server called Jupyter to split it off, and so on and so forth. But it was basically a closed federation, so you couldn't just jump on board. Probably the other major thing is the lack of a killer app for IRC. And when we look at where open standards for communication have happened before, like um, SIP for VoIP and XMPP, obviously for chat, and IRC, there's never, for any of them, been a no-brainer killer app like Netscape was for the early web mm-hmm. or like, I hate to say it, but Outlook Express it was in the early days of email, relatively early days of email. Let's face it, every single Windows box had Outlook Express in there and people used it. And oh, then obviously Gmail has come along and Hotmail came along and people moved to the web. I use it as well in anger. but um uh, my point is that uh, people were really taking time to bootstrap the protocol where i guess pine would have been the early email Mm -hmm. equivalent and mutt to some extent but pine was pretty mainstream like when i was at university every student had a pine login and was expected to you know fire putty on their windows box or even use a actual vt100 somewhere at the risk of sounding ancient to go and um, check their email via pine and people made clients that worked that were usable by normal people. And I think there's a elitist thing, honestly, on IRC, that geeks think, well, this just needs to be good enough for me and my developer mates. And in fact, the geekier it looks, the cooler it is. And I don't want any of these mainstream normies going and screwing up my um, uh, special IRC network. And that attitude kind of prevails. And on XMPP, similarly, nobody sat down and said, right, I'm going to write the Netscape equivalent for XMPP. So this is something that we very consciously tried to fix in it with matrix that we built the protocol but also invested more time than anything else on riot which is the reference app or the flagship app that we built as the core team to try to be something that looks and smells like discord or slack or whatsapp and people who don't give a stuff about decentralization don't care about open standards and the open web or anything like that they just want I know a secure version of Slack that they have something that they can use. So that's, I think, a reason why we might be succeeding better in terms of mainstream adoption than some, say, IRC or even XMPP. And one of the things that email almost had to get right in that the bar was so much lower at the beginning that any app yeah. that actually allowed you to do email, even if it's like you know, the original Unix mail client, the horrible command line thing that takes one letter of re- actions. Um, even that was a killer app when it launched.
0: Email is very personal too. I mean, it still prevails, right? I mean, many people build businesses around email newsletters alone. So it's still very much very mm-hmm. personal, still very much uh, a commerce opportunity, definitely killer app. Would you say that that kind of bleeds into this idea that Uh, adoption is driven by ease of use. Would that kind of bleed into ease of use, the killer app idea?
2: Yeah, there's usability. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, it needs to actually be there for a purpose. And yeah, with email, email is still the only lowest common, it's the only commonality between any people out there on the net. It's true, yeah. I mean, you've got the phone network, and so you can piggyback on top of that for, say, what, with WhatsApp or something. But um, if you're not piggying piggybacking on top of the E164 numbering system that you use on the phone network, you basically start with email. Just like I think that we got in touch here with uh, email coming in saying, hey, uh, do you want to come on the show? And if that's you want right. to reach out to somebody, that's how you do it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I think obviously it needs to be usable. You need to have a usable app on top too. And it's very true for us because we're competing against these very glossy apps like Discord who don't need to worry about any of the standards, the APIs, the um, ecosystem, the open source, a governance model to let people contribute to how the thing evolves, et cetera. They can spend all of that time and effort on glossy interactive UI. And so we have to do that and more as well as the rest of it to keep up to succeed.
0: Well you mentioned that you got tired of building silos, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what Discord is kind of is a silo, right? You it go is. and make your own account. It's a silo. Can't bridge to other things. You can't connect, you know, conversations from one community to another. You can't create public channels. It's it's missing all that stuff.
2: It is. I mean it's a nice experience and um, they seem to be doing pretty well. But um it's the epitome of a silo, unfortunately. And that's the last thing that we want um, Matrix to be. I mean, for context, Matrix has got about forty thousand deployments that we're aware of, one way or another, on the public network right now. And some of them are massive, with millions of users. Some of them are little Raspberry Pi. Like I've got a um, PC in the corner of the room here with my personal server, which runs on it. And it's the opposite of a silo. It feels like an ocean, a, a web, yeah. if you will.
0: Where are we as humanity then short-sighted when it comes to, I guess, massive communities? I mean, you seem to have some deep thoughts on this stuff. So if you kind of got into Matrix and the solution by being tired of building silos, what are we missing as humankind when it comes to networks of large communities with massive amounts of knowledge and silos?
2: I, to, I hope nobody is listening to this, hoping to, that we're going to be geeking out <laughs> about like um, HTTP versus COAP or JSON versus Cbor or no, what is the ratchet we use in our end-to-end encryption. But no, it's an excellent question. I'm very happy to talk about um, uh, what we're missing as a species. Let me answer with a story, which is about two years into Matrix, it was kind of working we've got thousands of servers out there and probably hundreds of thousands of users on the network and we were trying to figure out where it would go from there and honestly, we started to see some level of abuse popping up on the network, started to see our first spam, started to see people being unpleasant to one another. As we started to introduce the end-to-end encryption, it became obvious that a open, secure, decentralized encrypted communication network that anybody can participate in without any restrictions whatsoever can encourage some pretty colorful, to say the least, behavior from the human species. And if this thing Continued to scale as it has since, we've got like fifteen address 15 million addressable users on it now, you're going to end up with a massive global community that just keeps growing. And if we do the right thing, it should be bigger than email. And just like email has got massive abuse with spam, and all the various different flavors of spam that you see. Likewise, in matrix, we could disintegrate into an absolute firestorm of spam, abuse, and everything in between. And it was literally um, almost a a light bulb going on or almost a light bulb going off that we thought that we were building a decentralized communication network. And we built one and we realized that actually the problem that we have to solve is nothing whatsoever to do with decentralized communication and absolutely everything to do with decentralized reputation, going and giving users the ability to empower users to basically tune out the stuff they don't want to see. And it might be that they don't want to see porn. It might be that they don't want to see political content, might not be spam. It might be illegal stuff that they don't want to see. Or they might want to discover, alternatively, the best open source content or the best tech content or whatever it might happen to be. And that is an entirely separate problem in its own right, which is, first of all, nothing to do with Matrix. It's a problem that permeates society in general. It's a problem that we see all over the internet and the web today. It's a problem that is biting Facebook monumentally on the ass because they just haven't (laughs) ever spent the time to figure out how to um, ethically and sustainably let their users choose what to see. Instead, they algorithmically choose the optimal information that will addict them to come back and watch more ads. And... It was this horrible realization that basically the success of Matrix is contingent on solving the problem of global communities, which is the problem of empowering people to basically control the filtering algorithms that select what they can see. So that's probably not the answer you were expecting. But in terms of where I see the problem of large global communities, it's because they rip themselves to shreds, both in real life and online, if they end up being fed propaganda and disinformation designed to addict them and designed to Mm -hmm. keep engagement at the cost of the individuals, and people don't see it coming. I mean, people have finally wised up to it in Facebook and Twitter to some extent in the last couple of years, but we were panicking about this like four or five years ago before the Cambridge Analytica stuff saying, oh my God, if we don't go and figure out a way to stop, well, it's even just going to be total chaos and explode. Or it will get taken over by nasty folk and be considered a a dark web kind of Mm -hmm. bad reputation where the Matrix is the place you could go if you want to find bad stuff, which obviously is going to impact its ability to go mainstream, not to mention just make the world a worse place. So we've been spending an awful lot of time thinking about solving the small problem of disinformation, abuse, propaganda, and fake news on the internet. Because if we don't, um, the project fails.
0: If you're building out a digital store or e-commerce site, what's the one thing you have to get right? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, taking payments. That's right. I've got good news for you, though. Square APIs and SDKs make taking payments, managing orders, catalogs, customers, inventories, or even employees painless. With Square, you can build commerce apps that go beyond payments. They support iOS, Android, Flutter, and React Native for in-app mobile payments or to integrate with Square readers from your own app. Square also has payment forms for embedding a checkout experience directly into your website. Check out tutorials and explainers on Square's YouTube channel for developers at youtube.com slash square dev. You can learn about key concepts like item potency, how to take digital wallets in an online shop, or how to store and charge a card on file. Again, learn more and get started today at youtube.com slash
1: Matthew, you called it a moonshot and you also described all the ways in which it's hamstrung versus proprietary competitors for that moonshot, which is the foundation and the encryption and decentralization and all the things of open source governance. And so you have effectively a hamstrung moonshot you're trying to make. And so the question that comes to my mind is how do you fund multiple year hamstrung moonshot like this? How are you going about it?
2: Oh, good question. I mean, you're right that it's harder to do this um, than in a conventional model. And ironically, we have a side by side comparison between the same team who were building these proprietary silos originally. And in some places, they were more sophisticated than Matrix. We had things Mm -hmm. like streaming file transfer. So you could like live stream video as a file upload and watch it in real time as it downloaded. Really, really cute, really fun. Mm -hmm. And then we did Matrix, and I'm guessing it's about six to ten times more manpower required and time and effort to build something we had already built at <laughs> this time to as open source <laughs> and do it in public do it with open governance and open standard. So in terms of the funding question, we were lucky in that the first couple of years uh, we did it inside um, Amdocs. Um, so we took the unified communications um, team wholesale and suddenly pivoted overnight with the blessing of course of the powers of p to go and create matrix on the basis that if we were successful mdocs can one day go to at&t and say hey guys do you want to buy a billion dollar carrier grade matrix deployment from us. And with any luck, there will be good reason for AT&T to stop messing around with this 150 year old PSTN stuff and actually come and jump on board matrix instead. And they reasoned that if anybody would pull it off, it would be an existing proven team who were profitable and successfully delivering carrier grade telco stuff. So that's how we were funded for the first two or three years. And then it got to the point that we were successful enough that other folks were building on top of the protocol. And particularly Ericsson um, spun up a business unit called the Contextual Communication Cloud Business Unit, who were providing enterprise communication tools based, based on top of Matrix. Also, Talos, the French defense company, was spinning up a unit called Citadel, who provide uh, military-grade communication on top of Matrix. And Amdocs were saying, well, guys, congratulations. You're slightly hamstrung, but not very hamstrung. Moonshot is wildly successful. (laughs) And why the hell are we the only people paying the bill for this? And also, more practically speaking, the thing would never, ever work if it had a single corporate sponsor who was funding and driving the entire thing because it would be as if AT&T had invented the internet and never quite Taken their talents out of it. Um, So it was mutually beneficial to part ways and set up the matrix.org foundation as a nonprofit um, legal entity, which enshrines the governance model of the project and is the owner of all of the open source intellectual property inside an asset lock and has a neutral board of guardians, as we call ourselves, uh, who are practically speaking the directors of the non-profit foundation, of which two are myself and my co-founder Amandine, who came up with the idea of Matrix back in about 2013 with me. And then three independents. We've got the Marconi Professor of Communication from Cambridge University over here, where a lot of the team started out, and also. Uh, We've got um, Ross, who is a um, decentralization privacy expert lawyer in Washington, who works for Neo-America as a, um, I guess, a policy expert in the space. And also Jutta Steiner, who is the CEO of Parity in Berlin who are one of the major players in the Ethereum blockchain um, space. And it turns out that yer has, uh, Parity as a company, runs entirely on Matrix and has done for about three, four years now, which is petrifying given how immature we were three or four years ago. (laughs) But basically we we got um, independent people from the community to come on board and um, look after, basically be custodians to make sure that nobody screws it up, including myself including Amandine as founders and the creators of it. Because, yeah, we need to keep the lights on. And the way we do that was to then set up a standalone startup called New Vector. It was originally called Vector, Vector Matrix, get it? Mm. Then we spun out of Amdocs or parted ways, shall we say, with Amdocs. And so we were on a new vector. So we called it New Vector. It's a terrible name.
0: <laughs> well, naming's hard, so we don't blame you.
2: Yeah, it is. <laughs>
0: Just add the word new to it. Then They did that in Silicon Valley, <laughs> the show, where they were spinning off like uh, Silicon Valley startups and China as the whole thing. It was funny. This is like new Pied Piper. <laughs> you know, it wasn't It wasn't anything special. Anyways. I, I
2: had to say it, that I've never watched an episode of Silicon Valley because as far as I can tell, it is way too close to the truth, particularly the whole decentralized stuff. Oh, gosh, it um, was so good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you missed out. You should do it.
1: Well, I'm always thinking about New England. I'm thinking about New Mexico. I mean, this is an established naming convention.
2: <laughs> yes. Possibly for New York. New, yeah, go. New York. There you go. But uh, I suspect we won't keep the name forever, to say the least. But uh, for now, it's done okay. And we, we got the whole team, apart from, in the end, one guy um, to come over um, to basically be hired by us to work on it. And we keep the lights on by providing professional services and SaaS um, hosting for Matrix, because everything is open source, Apache licensed. You can run it yourself. Um, often, it's just easier to ask the guys who wrote it to run it for you. And so we've got a big Kubernetes deployment, uh, which kind of leverages the economies of scale and all the expertise that we have in running the servers. So for instance, we host Mozilla's um, server for them. They could obviously run it themselves, but mm-hmm. the fact that they have the option to migrate off at any point and run it themselves is kind of good enough. It's a safety net. They're not being you know, trapped into a vendor Slack Slack um, or whoever it might be. And that's... Uh, no, the the value prop that we provide on the SaaS platform, which is called modular.im, by the way, if anybody is interested in getting an excellent um, matrix server hosted by the creators and the experts. And then separately, yeah, we do professional services, consulting work for anybody who is doing large-scale matrix deployments and needs um, advice on how to get it right. And that started off with the French government who reached out a few years ago now, because they realized they had a security risk, that everybody was using Telegram for their internal political and public sector operations, which has some fairly questionable encryption and heritage in terms of using a Russian communication app. If you are yourself a nation state, surely you should be using something that is under your own control, and you don't have to trust anybody sitting in a different country. And so they went and googled for decentralized um, communication systems or self-sovereign encrypted communication. And we're basically the only one even now who comes up. And so they pinged uh, one of our Android developers on GitHub, that well-known way for the government to tap you on the shoulder. <laughs> and he said, oh, my God, Matthew, I have no idea who this is, but they say they're for the government. And he's, <laughs> based, in, he's based in France, so it was literally his French, uh, his local government reaching out saying it's the Ministry of Digital saying they want to use Matrix everywhere. Help, help. And so went over to Paris and met with them. Really, really nice bunch an amazing first conversation with them where you think everybody's going to be um, very political and public sector. And I think the conversation began with one of the folks in the room asking how we did antivirus, which is a good question because if you're end-to-end encrypted, how are you going to get an antivirus server in there to go right. and check where the attachment runs? Are you going to have to start running client side? Are you going to install Norton Antivirus on your Android? You know, uh, right. how are you going to do it? Right. And it turned out that um, he'd gone and set up Fuse as user space file system on his Matrix server and put it through an antivirus layer there, not for the end to end encrypted stuff, but basically to independently be the first person I knew who had actually integrated antivirus properly into Matrix, which I thought, wow. was, ah, oh, This is going. To be a good relationship if we're coming at yeah. it from you've hacked up your own fuse based <laughs> matrix distribution so we've had a lot of fun working uh, with them and provide a lot of services to them for for keeping their deployment running which is now i think 60 servers um, split over all 16 ministries and it targets five and a half million employees because turns out more than 10 percent of france works for the government Who knew? Um, It's probably our biggest success story so far in terms of getting people off WhatsApp and Telegram and email, for that matter, and just having a massive cross-organizational encrypted system. They've had E2E actually turned on by default from the outset. Um, Mm -hmm. They were the first people in the matrix environment to do so. And so a good example is that we built out the enterprise E2E um, stuff for them where we do do it server-side. And what we do is to send the single message key not even the message key, the attachment key for the attachment that needs to be scanned is sent to the antivirus server, which is completely operationally separate from the communication server. So you do break the E2E in the most strategically limited manner possible just to let the AV server scan that one file and then proxy and give you a result as to whether you're allowed to proxy it through to the um, device or not. And that's an example of the sort of thing we did for them
1: very cool. So it sounds like you have the old fashioned way you have customers. I mean, beautiful.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we set up new vector it was 2017. And it was right at the peak of the ICO frenzy. And yeah. an awful lot of people were saying, Oh, my God, you've actually got a working decentralized product. If you put a token in that you can be gazillionaires.
3: Yeah, and
2: right. we did consider it honestly quite seriously in fact i even sat down with the team at one point and said guys we're not doing very well at finding seed funding for new vector we're gonna do an ico and everybody kind of head desked and looked suitably cautious and worried about it i'm glad we didn't honestly for many many reasons but uh, it's nice honestly to do it the old-fashioned way with good old-fashioned customers Mm -hmm. and avoid matrix ever being a kind of paper play thing where People are speculating or gaming it to try to get more of the magic beans. Right. That being said, you
1: do have a decentralized network that's sending encrypted communications around the world, especially now in governments even. So very important data, Mm. even though it's not financial transactions. So there has to be some aspect of trustlessness in there or I'm curious how the the decentralization occurs and how you trust the servers or if this is like a a thing that you sign up as a matrix server and there's a centralized trust factor or how I guess maybe at that point we're getting to the nitty-gritty of how matrix runs and how the network operates so go ahead and let us have
2: it. Very very happy to talk the nitty-gritty. So the decentralization aspect of it was shamelessly ripped off Git. And in fact, at uh, data structure level, chat room in Matrix is almost identical to a Git repository. It oh. is a Merkle DAG of um, objects which are signed into a, di- a direct acyclic cyclic graph. And you start off with the origin um, block, effectively the origin event, which is called an m.room.create event. And then as people participate in the room, they add nodes into that graph um, if... There weren't any races. It would be just a linear list of nodes. Um, But in practice, you get races all the time because people talk over the top of each other and Mm. you have net splits and somebody might go offline and their server might not be able to talk to the rest of the network. And so you actually end up with quite interesting tree-shaped DAGs Um, as the conversations bifurcate and then rapidly reconverge again. And the novelty on Matrix is that the conversation is replicated over all of the participating servers. So just like in Git, everybody has a clone of the same repository and is constantly pushing and pulling commits between uh, copies of the different repositories. So in Matrix, every server, every node on the network maintains a copy of the conversations its users are participating in. So... It's decentralized in that the conversations are decentralized over the servers. In some ways, this is pretty old hat. It's very similar to Usenet. Anybody familiar with NNTP and Usenet should be familiar with the idea of conversations being replicated over a whole bunch of participating servers. Obviously, for Usenet, it was done almost as a flood globally, and it didn't have the cryptographic integrity that you get from signing it into a signed data structure like a Merkle DAG or a Git repository i like to point out that we have nice hash agility in matrix. And like it. That's basically the way it operates. And mm. the clients can be very, very thin. The simplest matrix client is curl. And you want to receive a message, you curl slash sync on your matrix server. It will block until there's a message to receive. And then it will return the JSON of that message. And the message can be anything you like. It's just freeform JSON. And likewise, mm. if you want to send a message, it's a single HTTP hit from curl. curl minus x post to slash send message, and you give it a message type you wanted to send and some JSON body, and you send it into the, the room where you asked it to go. So... Uh, I mean, as a joke on Hacker News a few months ago, I wrote a four-line or I think five-line matrix client in Bash and Curl just to really try to spell out to people that your matrix client can be as stupid and simple as possible. It's the equivalent of telnetting into an IRC server. and Everybody says, oh, the reason email and IRC is so great is I can telnet into it. And I say, well, our matrix, well, you probably could telnet if you really want to, but you'd have to type out the HTTP headers, so why not just use Curl? But it's the same idea. On the other extreme, though, you can have a really thick client like Riot, which has got offline support. It has local um, cache um, of your conversations. It has um, end-to-end encryption built in, obviously, to the client and all of this good stuff, at which point you know, up in hundreds of thousands of lines of code. But the nice thing about matrix is that it can be anywhere in between, depending on where you want to put things. To actually answer your question, heaven forbid, on the decentralization piece, the big novelty, other than replicating these conversations between the servers, is how you stop people misbehaving. Because it has to be Byzantine fault-tolerant. If I spin up a matrix server, and I deliberately add a bunch of bugs into it, and I inject an event that says that, hey, I've kicked you from this room, Everybody needs to decide whether I was allowed to kick you or not. Or exactly. whether I could, can I ban you? Have I got ops? All this sort of thing. And for that, we have a proof-based consensus mechanism. It's not quite a consensus mechanism. We, we call it state resolution because the primitives you get in each room is, first of all, the history of the messages in um, the timeline of that room, the conversation itself. And then a subset of those events are key value data. And it's things like who's in the room, what permissions do they have, what's the name of the room, what's the topic of the room. And again, it's free freefall. You can put any key value data you like into it, but it's the key value data that's important semantically for the events in that room. And basically, if I were to kick you from this conversation, if we were having it in Matrix rather than Zoom, then uh, I would go and say, hey, I'm going to kick you. And the reason I can kick you is because I was given ops at this point by this guy who created the room. And you have to always provide the proof, a chain of events, the off events, as we call it, the proof that you're allowed to do the operation that you do. And in fact, you do it on everything you do. When you send a message, you can say, hey, I'm sending you a message. And by the way, the reason I can send this message is that I was invited by this guy. And he was allowed to invite me because of that. And it goes back to the beginning of the room. Typically, it's like five or six events in the chain. And everybody executes the copy of the off chain um, against their view of the room. And if they conclude that, yes, indeed, this event was allowed to happen, they accept it into their copy of history. And if you get a conflict in terms of some kind of race, some kind of contradiction, then we have um, state resolution kick in, which um, goes and defines how you merge together these key values in a deterministic manner, such that everybody ends up concluding the same state of the room. And that's hard. Uh, We got it wrong first time. And uh, it was a couple of years before we realized that it was exploitably wrong. And some really lovely people um, both discovered the vulnerabilities and then started to break rooms and exploit them. And we had a fairly stressful summer back in 2018, going and um, doing an emergency rethink of the merge resolution algorithm to uh, fix the thing code that we had and the thing codes that we had. There are like three or four shortcomings, things like having got a tiebreak incorrect, also having a parameter called Depth that should have been untrusted, but we were trusting it a bit more than we should, which was liable to people then lying about it and abusing and so forth. And so we shipped um, at the beginning of 2019 um, state res V2, which gets it right and is what Matrix is, is today. And so far we haven't seen any disasters with people discovering that they can inject malicious events in order to hijack rooms. Again, felt a lot like the early days of IRC. If you ever saw a net split where after the net split, half the people got ops and they come back and there's a race before the ops gets taken away. But if they script it during the race, they can t- hijack the channel. It was literally, oh my God, we've reinvented the mistakes of FNET in <laughs> 1998 all over again. But um, just like IRC finally got its act together, we did too.
0: Can even imagine what it takes to build or test that? You know, like something decentralized, how do you even test like state resolution?
2: Yeah, again, excellent question. So on testing it, we have a test trick called Test, which has got about 850 integration tests. It's a totally separate code base to any of the servers, and it exercises one or more servers and clients to basically go through as much of the API surface as we can. And in terms of APIs, you have the client server API, which is the one I explained earlier for just implementing clients, then you've got the server to server interface, which is the much more exotic one, which has got both the cryptographic hashes flying around the Merkle DAG, as well as state resolution. And there are three other ones, one for identity lookups, one for push and one for application services, application services being clients on steroids that can bridge you into other networks and link through to IRC and XMPP and that sort of thing. So situs primarily tests Well, it actually tests all of those these days. It's a bit of a weird project. It's written in Perl. It's not entirely deliberate that it was written in Perl, but it's one of these things that began in Perl and is stuck. And before you know it, you've got... No, 850-odd tests, which are critical to any development of the platform stuck in your CI system. Every time somebody commits something to one of our server implementations, it gets run through the gamut. As it happens, it doesn't have that much in the way of state resolution tests. And we actually have separate test jigs for that. And it's very topical, because we have a next-generation server Implementation going on at the moment called Dendrite. Our first one was written in Python and is called Synapse, and it's lots of Python and Twisted. Dendrite's written in Go, and it's ended up being written by almost t- totally different people to Synapse, and it had a hiatus of almost um, two years when we realized we didn't have bandwidth to both work on it and work on Synapse. But we're now at the point that Synapse is stable enough and we have enough manpower to actually work on Dendrite. And so for the last week, um, the lead de- well, one of the lead developers on Dendrite, Neil Alexander, has been implementing state res v2 for Dendrite playing catch up with where we were a year and a half ago on Synapse. And he's been writing a lot of tests, a lot of unit tests, lots of test jigs, um, running side tests against it, also writing more documentation. I don't know if you've ever read the Git merge documentation, but Uh somewhere in the Git source repo, there's a doc that explains how their three-way merge thing works. It's the equivalent of our state resolution. It's surprisingly... Involved and terse, and if you get it wrong, the whole thing's just going to fall apart in an absolute um, firestorm. So we're um, constantly redocumenting it. I think we've now got five different write-ups from different members of the team. Each one advances the state of the art to better explain how it works. And I think there's also a formal proof written in LaTeX, so it must be true. Trying to explain um, uh, the algorithm and almost a formal uh, justification as to how state rays works. So it's by far the, it's the only academically complicated bit of it. And I think that we've got it right. Just like Git in practice is quite complicated, but it works very well in reality. Matrix is also quite complicated, but hopefully it's kind of necessarily complicated. It's not over-engineered for the sake of navel-gazing, but it's the minimum level of complexity needed to be able to merge together decentralized chat rooms in a Deterministic, consistent manner.
0: How often do you think about internal tooling? I'm talking about the back office apps, the tool the customer service team uses to access your databases, the S3 uploader you built last year for the marketing team, that quick Firebase admin panel that lets you monitor key KPIs, and maybe even the tool that your data science team had together so they can provide custom ad spend insights. Literally every line of business relies upon internal tooling, but if I'm being honest, I don't know many engineers out there who enjoy building internal tools, let alone getting them excited about maintaining or even supporting them. And this is where Retool comes in. Companies like DoorDash, Brex, Plaid, and even Amazon, they use Retool to build internal tooling super fast. Retool gives you a point, click, drag and drop interface that makes it super simple to build these types of interfaces in hours, not days. Retool connects to any database or API. For example, to pull data from Postgres, just write a SQL query and drag and drop a table onto the canvas. And if you want to search across those fields, add a search input bar and update your query. Save it. Share it. It's too easy. Learn more and try it free at retool.com changelog. Again, retool.com changelog.
1: So, Matthew, let's imagine I want to enter the matrix. (laughs) I was just going to pun totally intended. You went there. I did. I had to. didn't have to, but I had to. The geek in me had to. We have a Slack system. People are on Discord. Hey, some people are still using IRC. And, of course, the question always comes down like, this is cool. This is interesting. I like decentralized. I want to be self-sovereign. I have all these things that I like, but what's it actually like to use it? Right? And what does switching look like? So from our perspective, we have a Slack community. We've been on Slack for years now. And it's what most Slack communities are like. It's got channels. It has people in those channels. You can invite people to join. They join, et cetera, et cetera. What is Matrix like to use as a user? I saw there are communities, there's rooms. Explain it to us.
2: Well, I mean, it depends on the app that you use. And many people use Riot, which was the flagship app that we built um, to give people a kind of easy onboard. And you can install it on Android off Google Play or f or iOS or the web, or as currently an Electron app on desktop on all the various desktop operating systems. And it looks and smells a lot like Slack, honestly. You have lots of group chats. You have public chats, more like you get on IRC. You have direct messages. You have um, private DMs and private group chats. You can group them into communities, but this is a horribly badly implemented feature at the moment. We're about to rip it out and fix it, but um, we don't recommend people go anywhere near Communities at the moment, we only keep them around because um, people have used them and depend on them, but it's something that we're working on fixing. And then within that, you have all the building blocks you'd expect out of a modern. Um, chat system, typing notifications, uh, read receipts, really important to have little um, chat heads which go Tetris patterning down the right-hand side of the screen to show you who has read up to a given point that Slack doesn't have. I've no idea how Slack survives without it because it's so useful to know when people have read your messages. Um, mm. And you have file transfer End-to-end encryption is the other big, unique thing that most people aren't used to, that you can turn on encryption, which uses the Signal-style encryption double-ratchet algorithm. Um, we actually extended it with something called MegOm to support large encrypted group conversations, whereas WhatsApp and Signal, I think, only go up to 256 participants. We're good for at least um, thousands of devices, and thanks to Megolm. And so you have the slight surprise when you enable this of needing to verify that you're talking to the people you think you're talking to, because there's not much point in encryption if it turns out that you were talking to some attacker all along who was pretending to be the other person. Uh And at first we got the UX for this terribly wrong and went and forced everybody to have to manually verify every device they ever spoke to, which gets very tedious very quickly started off being kind of comparing public keys, then we switched to looking at um, comparing emoji. So you calculate a shared secret of emoji between the two devices and check that both people are looking at the same shared secret. And then more recently, we've done a huge sprint of work, it's been like four or five months now, um, going and implementing cross signing, which means that if I verify one of my devices, and you have verified me, then you will automatically trust the new device. So it starts to feel a bit more like, say, PGP, where if you want to be sure that you're talking to the right person, you verify them once, but then it should last for the rest of time, unless they go and revoke their keys and start over with a new identity. Um, Turns out it's hard to do in a decentralized world, and also the UX around it to try to make it friendly to non-technical users, the idea that you scan a QR code on your uh, on an existing device in order to kind of cross-sign it and verify the ownership is hard to get right. But we're almost there. We also have to do it across all the platforms simultaneously. And as it happens, Riot is totally different apps and code bases on web iOS and Android. We deliberately didn't use React Native or Flutter or anything, but instead... Um, have built it from the ground up um, independently with different teams of people in each place, mainly so that we can modularize it and factor out the SDK as a component other um, users can build on for their own matrix apps. But ends up being a lot of work. But That's one of the other big differentiators. Uh, Whatever things where people find. Lots of work to be done around the room directory, which at the moment is unfiltered, so you get a lot of random stuff.
1: Is there just a single namespace for rooms? So I created a JS Party room and it's like pound JS Party colon matrix.org. Is that global?
2: So that was global. Um, However, it's a bit unusual in that because the rooms get replicated over the servers, you can define multiple aliases as we call them. So it could be that alias on matrix.org, but the same room could also be tagged as hash whatever on mozilla.org or on uh, gnome.org or kde.org or any of the other matrix servers flying around um, the internet, if there are users participating in that room from that place. So you get a local namespace on that server, but the rooms themselves um, are spread across the whole thing.
1: I see. So the room exists across the entire network, but this particular way of referencing it is local to the matrix.org yep. domain or server.
2: So the domain, yep. And you get one server per domain at the moment.
1: And are there sub silos? Like I'm thinking back now. I'm thinking about Mastodon a little bit. I'm trying to like have a frame of reference where there's kind of like subsections of that. Like you have maybe that's the community's idea, but it's not baked out yet. Where for instance, in our Slack setup, we have changelog is our top level Slack community. And then inside there, we have rooms. And so those are local. Uh, is there any sort of like namespacing in that way where you could say, maybe it's at the domain level, like this is Mozilla's domain. So all the rooms are Mozilla's?
2: So that you're right. That's how communities are supposed to act. So it's not like Mastodon, where you have a server which is very, um, you know, it really sets the tone for what goes on on that server it's a lot more islandy with links between the islands when you need them, whereas a Matrix, again, it's more like Git, but it's not like a Git repository on GitHub as a particular flavor due to being on GitHub. It could equally well be sitting on GitLab or on Gittier or whatever. Um, so okay. instead, yeah, you have to create your own communities to group these rooms together. And you can do that by just using your server as a way to gather together a particular namespace. And that's a pretty clunky way of doing it. And you can only have one namespace per server um, by just saying, mm-hmm. hey, all the aliases on Gnome.org are probably going to be to do with Gnome. And the communities are basically a way of maintaining these room directories and also groups of users uh, which can span multiple servers. And the thing that went wrong with them is that we implemented them in a bit of a rush as a new API. It was like a quick, 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 we've got to add communities because this is unusable without them. So we need to have an API that allows you to create a group and it allows you to invite people into the group and in the API, they're called groups rather than communities. So you create a group and you invite people, you kind to need a way to like ban people. You need to have moderators in that and it needs to have a name and a topic and it's got a set of rooms associated with it. And we went and implemented all of this as an entirely new API surface before kind of realizing. One day that hang on, we've got rooms already, they've got members who you invite, they've got topics and names, they've got power rules, and they're decentralized. And it was at that point, the whole thing kind of ground to a halt, having realized we had done it horribly wrong and we went and focused on other things and we are literally now coming back to it to rip it out and at least experiment with the idea of what we call rooms as groups so you just create a room and you nest rooms in it in a beautiful matroska way and if you kind of go and join the um, top level of the room then you would get a room directory that shows you the other rooms which are nested within it and it becomes a much 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 more powerful way to have kind of hierarchies of communities and you can see that it can map onto an active directory um, tree or LDAP or whatever Mm -hmm. other hierarchy of users you might have or hierarchy of rooms you might have flying around could be your IMAP hierarchy could be news groups um, could be a discord server split into different partitions whatever discord calls them
1: Okay. The bridging concept we spoke about a little bit, but this is the idea. I'm just going through some of the the jargon used around the matrix.org website trying to understand sure. all the all your bits and bobs. So bridging is bringing in other protocols or other networks? Yep, precisely. So this is how you have access to traditional IRC. Yep.
2: Uh, there are about 60 or 70 of them now. Um, most of them built by the community on the core team. We started with IRC because as I mentioned, we kind of like IRC and we also wanted to bootstrap <laughs> yeah. it um uh with the irc community and in some ways the irc bridge is the most sophisticated one lots of people on irc use it, use matrix as basically a great big bouncer decentralized bouncer in the sky And I think we do about 25% of the traffic on Freenode um, these days, much to the, I don't know, I think Freenode are a bit nonplussed about this. On one level, it means that people are using Freenode and IRC lives on on a level I suspect they'd probably prefer it if they were just talking IRC rather than coming in from another land. But It is what it is, and um, people seem to like it. We also did XMPP via Bifrost, which is our next-gen bridge kind of toolkit, which is actually an application framework to build bridges. So you implement your bridge for, say, XMPP as a module that plugs into a general all-purpose rainbow bridge, like a Bifrost in uh, Norse mythology slash Marvel mythology would look like. And uh, we also did Slack, and we did Gitter, And I always forget the last one. Those are probably the important ones, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then everything else, Telegram, Discord, GroupMe, uh, Facebook, Signal, WhatsApp, all of this stuff comes in from the wider community. And we made the bridges super easy to write. And the Slack bridge is about 50 lines of JavaScript because it's basically just taking webhooks from Slack, turning it into the matrix HTTP API, and then back again. So uh, they also vary massively in quality and also methodology. We always try to go for what we call double-puppeted bridges, which are ones where on the remote side, the users puppet matrix users, so you can't tell that they're not real matrix users. And likewise, the matrix users puppet other side users, so the people on the other side aren't aware that they're talking to people on Matrix. So for instance, there is a Slack puppeting bridge where you can give the bridge your Slack credentials, and it basically logs into Slack as you, and it mirrors everything it sees in Slack into Matrix, and vice versa. So it's the ultimate vibe that people don't realize that you're a dog.
1: (laughs) I like that term, double puppet. I've never heard of that before.
2: Well, we had to make all of this up because nobody had ever gone into bridging at the same level of detail that we had and uh, I actually wrote a blog post in 2017 called How Do I Bridge Thee? Let Me Count The Ways, uh, which tries to uh, enumerate about five, six, seven different flavors, which goes from the worst bridge bots, which you just have a bot that joins a room. And I'm sure you've seen it on IRC that somebody joins it from Discord, and you have a bot called Discord Bot, and it just goes and blathers out whatever's happening on discord and you can't really see who's talking and it dumbs it all down Uh, and then the next level up would be using virtual users so that you actually create irc connections to represent the people on discord and then it goes all the way through to double puppeting and single puppeting uh, and all that um, stuff so bridging is tough because it's really useful But it's always a bit of a compromise. There's always an impedance mismatch between the capabilities you get in one protocol and the capabilities you get in matrix. And so we have people who go from IRC to Slack, via matrix, and from IRC to XMPP. And it works pretty well, but you're always going to lose a bit of the experience along the way. And also operationally, it's a lot of hops for the data to go through. And all it needs is for the bridges to be running on different servers Yeah, you can basically easily end up with four or five different hops between the users, which inevitably starts to rack up in terms of latency and just risk of things going wrong. So it's a thing. At the moment, we've got one guy working full-time on them. We're trying to hire somebody else to come and join him. And sometimes they are invaluable. Sometimes they're a pain in the ass. Um, Sometimes they really upset people because they are not as native as a real thing. But they're also why we called Matrix, matrix as um, some kind of structure in which to bridge together the existing silos. Um, matrix is Latin for uterus, rather unexpectedly. It's, it's really? where something grows. Um, it's also where the mm. word mother and maternal and uh, maternity matrix is all the same root um, etymologically. And so, yeah, we wanted to basically build a substrate in which things would grow and link together the other things which were out there to bridge the islands.
0: Well, given you came from a world where you were like, well, we're we're building a bunch of silos. Now you can actually build silos, but bridge to them. Hey.
2: Yeah, I mean, whenever anybody comes up with a new protocol and very enthusiastically says, oh, we are creating the one true messaging app, we said, oh, okay, that's cool. Good. Good luck with that. And we'll bridge. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we'll bridge. And we do. And if we don't, then somebody in the community will go and do it. And it's certainly one approach to take obviously in an ideal world, we would all be natively doing the same thing, but we're not on a crusade to force everybody to use Matrix. We're a lot more pragmatic. And I think that XMPP suffered a bit from hoping that everybody would get natively on the network and everybody will have Jabber IDs on their business cards. And we are much, much, much more pragmatic. And you know, if I want to find somebody on Matrix, I look them up based on their phone number or their email address, because those are the IDs that people already have in their address books. You could also use the Matrix ID, but which is like at Matthew org. Ideally, we wouldn't be relying on those. And similarly, sure, it would be nice if people were natively on Matrix, but some of the best communities I'm in are half Slack and half Matrix, and all of uh, normal people sit on Slack and all the geeks sit on Matrix, and eventually, hopefully, Matrix will get so good that people will naturally... Come and join the, join us in the wider ocean, rather than being trapped into proprietary Slack land. Not least because Matrix hosting is about five times cheaper than Slack. Just, just dropping that in there. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's what Jerry left out when he mentioned our Slack history is that we're on a free Slack, and so we have we obviously have a lot of limitations in terms of integrations and just different things that we can do. Because even history, you know, we, we lose a lot of history, and if you're trying to foster a community with you know with history because that's important you kind of miss out on that if you're on a free slack yeah yeah and so at some point you know we start to you know while we don't expect slack to give us free because it does cost money to run we'd love to find a more affordable way we just can't afford the affordable even like it's it's quite expensive right because they
1: charge per user and we invite everybody to freely join our community so If we were going to pay $6 plus per user per month, we would not be able to invite everybody to come join. It's crazy
2: expensive. And they're basically just holding your history hostage. I find it's, I mean, from a businessman capitalist perspective, I appreciate very much the model they have. But from an end user perspective, it's like the least open and pleasant thing imaginable on the web so i mean you could just go and use a free matrix server you can use the matrix.org one as you're using um, today the disadvantage is that it tends to be um, a bit overloaded it's got easily hundred thousand concurrent users at any given point and the python code base does not scale as well as it should um, we haven't yet migrated over to the go one so that's yeah. the disadvantage and also it feels a little bit like a I know a public swimming pool, lots of people (laughs) running around and Uh, um, sometimes the kids go and wee in the pool. (laughs) Sometimes, every time. That's a good analogy. Just expect it. It's going
0: to be there. That's right. Somebody told me, if you ever get a pool, expect them to pee in the pool. It's going
2: to happen. You know, the terrible, terrible (laughs) thing about chlorine um, in your eyes, that the reason that your eyes go red with chlorine in the pool isn't actually the chlorine, it's because it reacts with urine. (laughs) So no, next not, time no, no, sh- you get red eyes after going to go get a swim pool, that's what's going on.
0: <laughs> that's why I wear goggles uh, around with my eyes. I just keep them closed. <laughs>
1: I'm never going swimming again, so I'm not going to have that
0: experience. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier in the call we got Mozilla, who recently made this transition from i r c to to what you're doing with Matrix, and very publicly had mentioned that you mentioned the French government. You know, what are some other big adoption, big wins that? that you've got on your belt? like Where are you at, I suppose, with, I guess, your happiness with adoption?
2: We're pretty happy. Um, in terms of growth, it's good. As I said, we're up in tens of thousands of users, 15 million-odd addressable users, In terms of active users, it's hundreds of thousands um, daily. And I haven't actually checked the monthly ones, but it must be similar to that. All of those are guesses because it relies on people phoning home with reports and stats. And when you install your matrix server, it allows you to opt in or not to do that. And we guess at least half of the people say, hell no, why would I tell them how many people are on my server? So we're running a bit blind, but those are the lower um, estimates. In terms of big wins, France is not counted in those stats. They have hundreds of thousands of daily active now. They're not quite up at saturation of their 5.5 million users, but it's growing pretty steadily. Other countries have followed them. So Germany has... um, got several matrix initiatives going now, including the Ministry of Defence, or the Bundeswehr, as they call it, who unexpectedly announced themselves on Christmas Eve, thanks to, I think, a freedom of information request from a journalist who heard something about it and asked them to clarify what they were up to. And it turns out that they're in the middle of a trial to deploy matrix um, in that context. And also, the Federal Data Protection Minister, who's i guess the head of gdpr for germany has taken a shine to matrix and has been enthusing about um Um, how there should be a pan-European government matrix network so that all the governments and public sectors can collaborate together. That would be nice. Wikipedia has a matrix server. Gnome and KDE have them as also. Red Hat, I'm not sure we're allowed to talk about, but they do phone Homestat, so we do know that they are running a big matrix server, or at least they have at points. Just don't talk about it. (laughs) Some of the Rust community went to matrix rather than Discord. Uh, we're hoping that the rest of the Rust guys will see the light and come back eventually. So it's honestly a weird mix of open source, uh, lots of cryptocurrency projects like Tezos and Status, Ethereum, um, obviously Parity I already mentioned. Open source cryptocurrency types, also activists and people who really care about privacy and encryption. Yeah. And then on the flip side, governments and... That's kind of uh, the main uptake right now. And we haven't yet shifted into the more mainstream people who are using Slack today. But that is the big challenge that we're tackling really over the course of this year. Trying to get the UX glossy enough in Riot trying to make sure that features like communities are there. And in terms of first-time user experience right now, there's quite a lot of um, WTF moments, so to speak, for new users Mm. where we just haven't quite polished it as much as we should or we've let a bit of the protocol shine through into the user interface. Um, For instance, right now you can invite users into DMs. If you're used to it, it's really useful. Like somebody DMs you and you think, ah, oh, you're not talking to the right person, so let me field a question and then invite in the correct person to talk to you. Or if you want to invite a bot into your DM so that it can translate it for you or something like that, it's actually kind of useful. But the level of panic that some people have when they're coming over from Slack and discover that the one-to-one that they were having with somebody can actually be magically upgraded, not even into a DM, but also, uh, into a, a private chat, but it can even be made a public chat if you wanted to just because you can, is mm. a classic example of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. So lots of work basically on UX to broaden, uh, to make it more mainstream. And we've just hired two more designers um, to join our existing very long-suffering yeah. one, To both of whom have experience in the professional app design space for communication apps to try to de-geek Riot and make it more mainstream.
0: You mentioned sort of the cadre of people behind Matrix.org Foundation, but you hadn't really enlightened us on your team size and things like that. Can you share a bit more about, you know, who's doing all, I can't imagine you're doing all this work, so who else is with you? (laughs) No, I don't think you'd want me to.
2: (laughs) So um, the core team, when we set up New Vector as the spinout in 2017, was 11 people and um since then we have scaled up to 41 i think as of this morning um so we've taken on funding uh, as well as the revenue i mentioned earlier we've taken on funding both seed um, from status the ethereum decentralized communication project who wanted to support us because they like um, decentralization and um, wanted the project to survive. And then more recently from VCs in London, and specifically Notion, Dawn Capital, and First Minute, who I think we're very lucky to have got as investors because they get the mission and the idea, as well as see the commercial possibility in that we could become the Netscape of the Matrix ecosystem and if matrix takes off properly it's a bit of a long shot as you said it's a bit of a slightly hamstrung moonshot. shot but we're yeah. quite close to the moon at this point and assuming we don't overshoot or crash into it hopefully we'll have a beautiful landing and um uh, that's allowed us to scale up the team significantly um for the foundation we don't hire anybody it's just the directors basically looking after the governance and the ip and the evolution of the protocol But for people paid to work full-time on Matrix, well, that's what we do as New Vector. And then lots of other contributors from other companies and individual open-source contributors. Um, Probably five, six, seven hundred into the core projects and easily thousands into the wider projects which people happen to have built on top.
0: If you can wave a magic wand and a year from now, magical things happen. I guess, regarding adoption, you know, ne- moon landing, future where you're going to, what, what would, what would happen to make, you know, I suppose the killer app, the, the killer use case, whatever it might be, what would be the next big step for Matrix?
2: By far, the biggest thing that we can do right now is to fix the first time user experience in Riot. And it's tantalizingly close. If we can go and get the UX so that people will try using it rather than Slack and think, oh, this is actually a bit better Then ignore all of the open source, all the decentralization, all of that stuff. Just from a pure pragmatic user perspective, you've got to have that that does know what you need it to do. And we would need to, uh, I, I mean, that's more than anything else what I'd like to have happen. Secondarily, we'd need to fix the reputation and abuse um, challenges. And um, We've made some good work on that. The, we have the concept of shared block lists, so that if there are Um, Abusive folks, you can choose to ban them from your room or server or community or user and then kind of pull that information together a bit like email blacklists, but hopefully a little bit more nuanced. And uh, that is improving things a bit, but it needs to be a lot more nuanced if it's going to solve the kind of Gray scale, grayer scale things. You no, know, If you ban somebody for spamming a room, that's pretty concrete. But if you just happen to want to dial down the NSFW content in a room, that's getting a bit more gray as to what somebody considers, say, for work, etc. So we need to mm-hmm. have that subtlety to support that. And finally, end-to-end encryption has been an epic to make work. We are the only decentralized real time encrypted system that I know with end to end encryption. And it turns out the reason people don't tend to do that is it's really hard to get the edge cases to work. And people are very unforgiving of random messages that don't decrypt because there was a race between sending the keys or the server, one of the servers went down in the middle, or there was a net split and the server who sent you the message didn't know you were even in the room. And so of course, it didn't encrypt it for you. From a user's perspective, if you you no, know, don't get the message. That's you know, the one thing. The one thing you had to get right. So we've spent so much time trying to get that right and turn it on by default. We got a lot of flack in the privacy space for not having it on by default, particularly as WhatsApp and Wire and, and Signal are obviously all encrypted by default these days. So we aim to get it on for the end of January. It slipped. The uh, best quote I heard is 10 days from now is our next um, mm. mission, but we're still working through that work. So I really, really hope a year from now that ha- that's old history and everybody is used to everything being end-to-end encrypted. Other than that, on the commercial side, obviously more governments and big, big, big players adopting it to the extent that it becomes the default way to do chat in an industry rather than email or phone calls or jumping on slack and paying huge amounts of money um, would be a good outcome. I've already mentioned France and Germany, the US is also using um, matrix in production in various um, public sector environments. Fortunately, we can't really talk about them. Mm -hmm. But some of them are really, really interesting places where the decentralization is super useful. In fact, one we can talk about is the Texas Department of Emergency Management and Public Safety, where they previously were using WhatsApp for coordination in the field and they're very extensively using Matrix now to coordinate in a disaster scenario, work in that domain. And yeah, I mean, it would be great if open source projects didn't use a proprietary thing like Slack, it instead used Matrix. And if governments mm-hmm. did it too, then between the geeks at Fosdom and the public sector folk at whatever the... <laughs> open source conference equivalent is for the public sector. Um, They actually do have open government conferences, which are pretty interesting as all the people compare how to build open public infrastructure. Then perhaps the rest of the world would meet in between and it would just keep growing. Oh, the other thing I'd wave magic wand is to migrate to Dendroit and kill off our Python code base and move to Go because the scalability nightmare we have on Python Not Python's fault, but we just built it as a... It doesn't scale horizontally, whereas the Go thing is very, very horizontally scalable and is shamelessly inspired by some of our, shall we say, high-volume competition in the proprietary space. That would be great because we waste far too much time debugging Python when I would just like it to be efficient.
1: How big of an undertaking would that be?
2: It's not that... Well, for the Go migration? Yeah. It's pretty close. It's really frustrating, actually. We probably got it 80-90% of the way there before we just had to pull people off it to focus on the fact that France was going live on Synapse, and we had to do this, 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 and this, and a whole bunch of other um, commitments like that. And it's only in the last two, three months that we have rehired people who can focus exclusively on it. But frankly, they're on fire. Oh, there's an entire thing I haven't mentioned at all, which they've also been working on. The, well, the reason, one of the ways we got Dendrite development going again is for peer-to-peer matrix rather than client-server. So as of today, and you heard it here first, we had our first ever live traffic over peer-to-peer matrix. What we did was to take the Go code base, compile it to WebAssembly, run it in a service worker on your browser, and stick it into Riot. So you literally just go and pull the server to run client-side, peer-to-peer. We used um, LibP2P Mm. from the IPFS, Protocol Labs guys, um, as the network transport. And you just spin up right. And it is a real paradigm shift. It's really trippy in that you don't change a single line of the client code. It's just talking to an invisible matrix server It has a URL and everything, and the service worker intercepts those outbound HTTP requests and suddenly wormholes it into WebAssembly and gets Dendrite to run locally to service the traffic. So that's been the slightly unexpected route that we've taken in order to get the Go thing finished by saying, hey, guys, it's not just a boring version 2 of Synapse, which is going to run faster. Instead, it's a whole different beast. It's a test jig for peer-to-peer experimentation. And suddenly, whoosh, we've made huge progress. So it's probably only a matter of months until Dendrite now is good to go in production, although migrating over the 40-odd thousand synapses to a totally new experimental codebase. It's a bit like Apache versus Nginx, is how I think of it. Apache is going to be around forever. It's not that fast. Everybody knows it. It's very mature. It's got lots of random things built on top of it. And meanwhile, the cool kids will just go and build on top of NGINX. And I see the same thing happening with Synapse and Android.
1: Are you able to use TinyGo for that? I, I would think that the WebAssembly you know, executable thing would be rather large. But maybe with TinyGo,
2: it's not. It is. It is 20, 25 megabytes of WASM at the moment, which is...
1: Yeah, so not...
2: Usable from a client perspective. Yeah, I, I haven't. I, I'm not a Go expert by any means myself. I haven't looked at Tiny Go, but if it compiles down to Wasm, why not? It, it, it could be interesting. The, one of the biggest challenges we had is storage because um, Dendrite was written specifically for Postgres originally and used lots and lots of Postgres specific um, SQL features like sequences and returning keywords and stuff. And you're not going to be running Postgres in browser client-side. I mean, that would just be silly enough to do Dendrite without Postgres. So uh, what I ended up doing was to write a SQLite driver in Wasm that actually calls over the JavaScript um, gap into the browser to go and use SQLite, ironically, in Wasm, um, running in SQL.js. So first of all, well, that turned out to be relatively easy to go and write a Go um driver for sqlite that would go and terminate in the browser but um, the hard thing was to then rewrite all of dendrite to not use assumptions that it was running on postgres but um, the, the guys finished that in the last couple of weeks and glued it all together using libp2p on the javascript side so it ends up being this unholy mishmash of go and javascript and i was shocked and stunned but it does actually work so right now, there is a testnet with two people on it talking to one another over peer-to-peer matrix, pinching themselves to believe that it actually exists. But that is going to just change everything when it becomes mainstream, because you no longer need a server. You don't need to pick your matrix.org. You yeah. don't need um, necessarily to pay for hosting, although obviously we hope that people will still want a permanent home somewhere for their data, and it will in some ways make it more valuable, but, you know it's a useful thing to have but um, watch the space to see how that evolves. Lots of unsolved problems, uh, particularly in routing and um, uh, scalability and discovery and all that sort of stuff, but good problems to have.
1: Well, I'm glad you remember that part because that's super (laughs) interesting and definitely exciting. So Matthew, we're hitting up against our time. Thanks so much for joining us today. All the hard work you've been putting in for many years on this slightly hamstrung, (laughs) but much more pure moonshot that you're on. We hope you have a good landing on the moon. Everybody's (laughs) safe and sound. And you hit your goals. It looks like you're well on your way. And Matrix is very interesting, very cool. All the links to all the things related to what we talked about, of course, are in your notes, listeners. So check those out. Um, What's the the very best place for somebody who wants to get involved? From a developer perspective, maybe they want to check out this P2P stuff. Is there a waypoint for community members, collaborators, or is it all inside of the Matrix's Guardians of the Galaxy (laughs) thing. What, your Guardianship? Is there collaboration points for people?
2: It's super open collaboration. I mean, the Guardians are a safety net. They don't actually... They're not gatekeepers. It's just uh, they're the safety net so that if somebody did go rogue, that they can step in and say, oi, we're not going to accept these evolutions to the protocol. So if you want to get involved, come on to hashmatrix-dev on colonmatrix.org, or onmatrix.org as we say. And that's one of the main developer hangouts, or even just hashmatrix on matrix.org, the first ever room on matrix. And it's a little eclectic as all sorts of randoms find their way into matrix for the first time. But it's pretty cool.
1: Last question, how did you get the matrix.org domain? Because that is an awesome domain.
2: Yeah, honestly, we were thinking of names for Matrix. It started off being called Synapse as a code name, but we ended up keeping that for the server. And we're just trying to think of something that really describes what we were doing. Thought of Matrix and thought, nah, I can't possibly call it that because of the film. It would just be silly. And then realized yeah. it had been already at that point 16 years since the film, which is... No, now it's been what twenty one years or something, if we really want to feel old <laughs> and um, realize that actually perhaps it might be all right and what's is the domain available we went on to it and it was like parked on CEDO or something. We paid three thousand dollars for it for memory, and which seems ludicrously Not bad. good, honestly.
1: I would expect it to be like 50k. Yeah, I was guessing
2: 50, 100k. Yeah. But for whatever reason, possibly because it used to be, um, unfortunately, a hardcore porn website at some point. And so I think its reputation... hurt. Oh,
0: backlinks get you.
2: Yeah, honestly. You get some interesting 404s. Yeah, the SEOs and yeah, some of the referrers coming in <laughs> and, and uh, exactly. are quite special. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know whether that really factored in and we just got super lucky. So I'm happy. Yeah. It's a good name.
0: Well, you're about to get another spike because Matrix 4 is in production. So So if
2: you incognito search for the word Matrix on Google right now, I think last time I checked, not that I do this every night before going to bed, because that would be sad. Last time I checked a few months ago, we were up at number 11. So almost on the front page and to be competing against. No, fundamentals of Mathematics and Keanu Reeves is um, no mean feat. So we thought we were almost there, <laughs> but obviously Matrix 4 is just going to knock us completely off the search rankings yeah. forever. Yes, it will. But um, if you search for Matrix Chat or Communications or Decentralized Communication, we'll come up. So at least Riot's got a really memorable and unique name, which isn't ever going to get confused with anybody else. So that helps a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, if the new movie is as bad as the last one, Maybe it'll just go by the wayside and you'll still... You reckon straight chilling. to
2: video It's <laughs> <As> possible.
1: <laughs> I mean, I hope not. I hope it's good. But like, I have my doubts.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It might work out. Uh, but I, I was hoping against hope that um, particularly they might pull it back together in the third one. But it really wasn't to be, unfortunately.
0: No, it just kept going down.
2: Yep. <laughs> but let's see. They might do it. Hopefully
0: four is on the way up and... Uh... John Wick slash Keanu Reeves and all this fanfare of the last several years has really, the last decade really, will have uh, brought back some new desire for Matrix movies. The Matrix movies.
2: No, I hope so, for for their sake. But on the flip side, I hope we don't get Warner Brothers phoning up saying, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. um, Right. It's a dictionary word, so hopefully we'll be all right. And we haven't got our VR stuff properly off the ground yet, so... (laughs) Hopefully, nobody will take um, offense. And if one of brothers are listening to this or Googling it, then uh, please just ignore this whole piece of the conversation.
0: We do have transcripts, so it (laughs) might be possible (laughs) to find via via text search. It's fine. It won't be on page two, though. It's not going to hit page two. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for, I I guess, really, just your excitement for this. I mean, it's so cool to see uh, someone like you be so knowledgeable about these protocols to... To lead this and be a guardian of it so uh, thank you for your time
2: today i just yeah i'm easily excited <laughs> and, uh, luckily not doing much in the way of actually um, building it these days um so thank you so much for having me on and for yeah. enduring my long-winded and off-topic answers it's been a pleasure really fun thank you same here us know in the
0: comments at changelaw.com slash 384 if you're planning to replace your Slack, your IRC, your Discord or other with Matrix. We're super curious to hear what the community thinks about this. Of course, you can comment on all of our episodes at changelaw.com. Head to your show notes and click discuss on changelaw news. We'd love to hear from you. Support us by telling your friends, send a text, tweet, Insta story, whatever. Pick your flavor of influence. We would appreciate it. And this episode was hosted by Jared Santo and myself, Adam Stachowiak. Our beats are produced by the Beat Free Great master cylinder and we're brought to you by some awesome partners fastly linode and roll bar oh and one more thing we have a master feed that brings you all of our podcasts in one single feed it's the easiest way to listen to everything we ship head to changelawcom master to subscribe or search for Change Law master in your podcast app you will find us thanks for listening we'll see you next week Asked this during the show, but this might be good for a, a break or a teaser or a treat at the, at the end. If one wanted to move away from Slack at some point and they were on the free plan, could they subscribe to the pain plan for one month, get their history, and move away mm. and suck all that history into
2: Matrix? Good question. I'm mm. glad you didn't ask it because the answer is that we don't yet bridge history. We should do. And uh, I think there are some importers. Actually, hmm, you no, know, you're right. I think somebody has written an importer now that will brill- pull in your history, and that might work as a way to get at your history. But um, I need to double-check it. The bridge itself doesn't do it. You'd have to do a kind of GDPR export and then like, right. re- rehydrate it in Matrix land. But it's surprisingly hard at the moment in Matrix to retrospectively do history because of the DAG thing. It would be like rewriting get history. You'd have right. to rebase the whole thing in order to rewrite yeah. time. and yeah. Theoretically, yes, practically, I'm not sure many people do.
0: I guess that's the downside of it being git, right? Like that that difficulty, if it wasn't for that, then it might be a little easier.
2: Yeah, but we can work around it. One thing you can do is to actually uh, start going backwards in time. So rather than progressing the DAG forwards in time, you can create a branch and have it chronologically go backwards. So you can kind of splice it in that way. It's a bit of a head screw, but uh, could even be like yeah.
0: a. I mean, since it's immutable, it's not going to go anywhere. And everybody's going to go back and edit their stuff. Maybe it's a way to nested archive or something like that. Yep. You know, like embedded archive, like Ooh, into yeah. something like that, where it's like it's done. We stamped it.
1: It's done. But we want to bring it with us. And
2: that's interesting. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, your bridging move is awesome for adoption, mm-hmm. but at a certain point, what you're going to have is a bunch of people wanting mm-hmm. to jump ship and better than bridging is like yep. escaping. So if you can provide an escape hatch with history and like, you know, make that as painless as humanly possible, you could get a lot more adoption yep. off of people that are like, "You know what? I'm done with Slack." Boom.